Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Square Circle Podcast. I am your host, Marie Shadows. And on this lovely episode of the Square Circle Podcast, I'll quickly review AEW's all-out pay-per-view that debuted on September 5th, 2020. I spent a lot of time reviewing a snapshot of the pay-per-view, which was Hangman Adam Page and Kenny Omega defending their AEW Tag Team Championships against FTR. That was when they were champions at the time. Fast forward to now, they are no longer champions. They are in a state of breakup, even though Hangman wants to get back with Kenny to get the tag team titles as reconciliation. But Kenny has other plans and goals in mind to be a singles competitor. We don't know how the story is going to fold out, but it's an amazing journey to be a part of. And I spent my whole entire time researching and talking about this specific snapshot because the story arc had changed from the beginning when Kenny and Hangman were first tag team champions all the way to now when FTR inserted themselves into this whole entire story and how everything fell apart and how everything may or may not be the same after all this. So if you guys definitely check it out, I highly suggest you do. I did a lot of work on it. I would love your feedback. You can definitely listen to this podcast episode of Hangman and Kenny taking on FTR at All Out on my Patreon with no ads for $5 a month. Head over to patreon.com forward slash rookie SCP. You could also find it on Anchor and all other major podcasting platforms. If you have the means to support, continue to do so. Continue to listen, continue to share, continue to give me your feedback. You guys are amazing. Thank you for always being here. Again, let's jump right into AEW All Out, starting with the buy-in. The buy-in started off with Serpentico versus Joey Janela. It was a very good match. It was a very fast-paced match. Joey kept kicking out at the count of one whenever the referee were to start counting. Janela automatically attacked Serpentico early on in the match. But towards the end, Janela picked up the victory over Serpentico. The next one is Private Party versus Dark Order members Alex Reno and John Silver. This was a very fast-paced match. Very nice. Definitely a lot of tag team wrestling. And the winner of this match was Private Party. As you guys know, Private Party is from New York City. They are amazing athletes, amazing wrestlers. And I just wanted to mention that even if you do not understand the tag team and probably don't see the fundamentals or the wrestling aspect, Private Party sets themselves apart because they took their name and their gimmick to mean something in the ring whenever they go out and wrestle. It's always a private party inside the wrestling ring. It may not be the type of private party you're used to when you're going to the club, having drinks, dancing with people. A private party in the professional wrestling world is them making their match feel like a party, feel like you're having a good time, that you're watching something amazing to take you out of whatever you may be feeling. That's what private party gives back to the wrestling community and to the wrestling matches that they have. It's always a party with them. They always say, you know, this ain't water. And in their matches, this ain't a wrestling match. Private Party is never going to be like FTR, who's strictly technical map based. Private Party is never going to be, well, 
Private Party is similar to the Young Bucks, but the way that the Young Bucks have their tag team formula down, Private Party is not going to copy off of that. Private Party is their own unique selves. And that's what I appreciate about watching Private Party matches on AEW, is that they always bring the party, they always bring the noise, you know you're going to have a good time. So Private Party doesn't only mean that they have the drinks, you don't, you're not invited. It just means that every single match that they have, it's going to be a private party. It's going to be a party for all of us to enjoy as we watch it. Now we get to the main card of AEW All Out. Originally, the tooth and nail match, which is a cinematic match of Britt Baker versus Big Swole, got switched to the main card. Now, everybody on Twitter always complains that there's not enough women action. Why are the women not on the card? Women this, women that. Tony Khan listened to us. And Tony Khan does listen. Tony Khan cares about what we as fans say. However, sometimes you have to look at the big picture. For weeks, Britt Baker has been recovering. And luckily, she's been given a mic and she's been given segments so that way we can remember her and not forget that she's injured. So because we found out that it's a cinematic match, it would have made sense to be on the buy-in originally. And because I was on that all-out media call, I understood why he would put Britt Baker versus Big Swole on the buy-in because... You don't know if Britt is going to get injured even further. This is Britt coming back for the first time, a little bit rusty. They don't know if she's 100% fully. She probably is 100%, but anything in a wrestling match can happen to where you could get re-injured. They don't want that. AEW does not really want their wrestlers to get injured, so that's why he put it on the buy-in. But now I can understand and appreciate why... This cinematic match would be better on the main card. And it's not because it's showing off two women athletes. It's just because of when you make a card for a pay-per-view or for a house show, you have to have like matches, matches, a little breathing time, which would mean like an entertainment segment, maybe a vignette or something, and then matches, matches, and then more vignettes and interviews. You do that so that way there could be space to breathe throughout the card. You don't want like the card and you have like 10 matches all the way through and there's nothing that separates them except for maybe an intermediate break. Like you need to know how to pace out your show and this helped it pace it out a little bit because of all the matches we were getting plus the buy-in. So this works there. The other thing too is that wrestling Twitter needs to slow down with the amount of demands for women wrestling. Women's wrestling is not going anywhere. You can definitely push, you can definitely advocate and be like, we need more women, we need more this, we need more that. But why do you want to have it overnight when you can have it over a series of months with patience? The women wrestlers are not going anywhere. We're still in a state of a pandemic so we can't get the original AEW women that were signed who are overseas and so you tend to want to build homegrown talent and they should 
but you don't want to just keep signing random women out of the blue with no story build up, no vignettes, because you guys are dead set on, I want them to wrestle. I want them to wrestle. Hell, I want them to wrestle too, but no one is on Twitter being like, such and such woman should have this storyline with this woman, and this is how it should play out. Here's the thread. Everyone is like, oh, I think that they should have picked up Diana, or they should have picked up Kylie Ray, or picked up this woman or that woman. Do you have a storyline ready for AEW to use? If not, then just enjoy the current women that they have on the roster now that they're trying their best with. Don't push them to the side because that's disrespectful to them too. And I know no one thinks about it that way. Everyone wants what they want, but it takes time and effort to build up the division the same way that the men are already established. And the men are already established because they produce their own vlogs. They produce their own content. You don't see a lot of women producing their own content. And this is what I advocate for. This is why I would like to definitely work with AEW and to help out with those extra pilot shows and those extra shows that Tony Khan wants to do. And if that's taken out of context or me paraphrasing so much from that AEW media call, I'm, I'm sorry, but AEW has a lot more plans to do in terms of content to bring it to you guys and I would love to help out with that. I would love to be a producer behind the scenes to make sure that these women get the much needed attention that they deserve but at the same time, the women have to put in the work, meaning that they can start their own vlog their own content of like, what do they work out? What's their routine? What do they do? I know nothing about these women at all the same way that I know about the men. I can definitely talk about Hangman's character all day. I could definitely talk about Kenny Omega all day. I could talk about the Young Bucks all day. For the women, I can't really do that. And I'm being completely honest for me going on this rant because it's annoying to see on Twitter that everyone wants something specific but nobody wants to give reasons as to why they think a certain wrestler will fit the mold of AEW and what storyline that they could create I feel like most of the time I say the same things over and over and over in my podcast and I probably do but that's only because I care and sometimes wrestling Twitter and the wrestling community can get a little annoying when it comes to the women as if like the women are never forefront even if a woman wrestler doesn't always wrestle that doesn't mean that they're not great at whatever else they want to do so for example if you have women out there they're still having their 15 minutes of fame on tv even if they're not wrestling if they are a manager they still have tv time if they're in the crowd, they still got TV time. They're on your screen. You see them. You know they're there. If they weren't there, then you could start complaining. Then you could start worrying. But AEW makes it a point to at least have women around the ring being in the crowd, even if they're not scheduled to be on the card. They're there. They have their gear. If they need to jump in, they'll jump in. You guys make it seem as if like there's no women at all. There's women, but there's no women. Slow down, guys. It's totally okay 
to let this all play out. I understand that WWE took forever to get the women front and center and for WWE to utilize the women that they have and the stories that they have them in. And then AEW comes along and some people are like, oh, I don't want to wait five years for AEW's women's division to get there. The AEW women's division is stacked, is strong, and has one of the best foundations in professional wrestling. And you guys might disagree, and that's totally okay. Totally fine. The only problem that AEW has with their women is the direction that they want to go in because of this pandemic. And that's the only thing. And I know I said on Twitter before that we shouldn't really use the pandemic as an excuse. However, you can't keep signing random women without giving them a vignette or giving them at least an interview time for us to get to know them. Remember when AEW first started and they did all those vignettes for those women who would tell us, hey, I'm such and such and this is why I'm here or this is why I'm wrestling. I want to feel attached to them because I don't know them. The same way that I'm attached to the male wrestlers way more than anything else. I understand them. I understand their motives. The women don't have that. I don't know who the women are. I really don't. And I think AEW needs to get back on doing those vignettes for those women. And like I said, I'm available for hire. And I would definitely love to do that for the women. To give them a spotlight. And AEW Heels is not that spotlight. I would love to help give the women of AEW a platform with these vignettes. So that way we can all understand who they are because wrestling every single night is not going to tell you their motivations and it's not going to tell you who they are wrestling is wrestling not every single person likes to tell a story within the ring so you need the vignettes to help us understand why they have the motivation to be a wrestler why they have the charisma to be the next aew champion Britt Baker and Big Swole have carried the division through this pandemic, and it has been an amazing ride to watch it all unfold. They are very good together. They have cut very good promos. Britt, as her heel self, is super good. So this is a cinematic match. Big Swole takes out Reba when she comes into the dentist's office. Britt then smashes her certificate over Swole's head. Swole hits Baker with a pan. Reba tries to help. It didn't work. Swole taking Britt for a drive in the wheelchair. Thought that was funny. Britt does a DDT to Swole on the cart. Britt uses a crutch to Swole. Swole smashes Britt's face into the counter. And Britt amazingly screams about her nose. Britt does a swinging neck breaker to Swole on the floor. That looked like it hurt. Swole then makes Britt staff her leg with a needle filled with Novocaine. Her leg fell asleep. I just thought that was pretty funny. Reba gets knocked out, so again, she's not helpful. Big Swole uses gas to put Britt to sleep, which gets Big Swole the victory in this tooth and nail cinematic match. It was nice. It was lighthearted. I understood what they were doing. It was fun to watch. I enjoyed it. Our next match is the Young Bucks versus Jurassic Express. 
the Young Bucks have picked up a new aggression style. They are a little more hard-hitting. They're a little more faster and super more cohesive. One could say that they're heels. They're probably heels, but they're letting their anger get the best of them because they're still upset that Hangman Adam Page cost them their spot to fight Hangman and Kenny at All Out for the Tag Team Championships. Hangman held on to Nick's leg, giving a distraction to Matt for Trent to roll him up and get the victory over them over a tag team gauntlet match. The Young Bucks still have not forgiven Hangman about that. Hangman is beating himself up to the point of that he's going to get into depression mode. You know, the Young Bucks should understand that professional wrestling is a competition. I think they'll be the first people to admit that and probably say that and talk about that. And what Hangman did wasn't wrong. In his mind, he was completely right. And I will say it again on this podcast. If I was Hangman, I would have done the same thing too. Only because why would I want to face the Young Bucks again at a pay-per-view where we already... Well, not we. Where Hangman and Kenny already defeated them once. It was time for someone new. But then again, that bit Hangman in the ass about it. Because he picked the team that got into his head... And that eventually cost them the match. So it's a little bit of walking on a tightrope and trying to choose who you want to face. And I think that eventually the Young Bucks and Kenny should definitely apologize to Hangman. And it's not 100% his fault. Anyway, Nick and Jungle Boy start off this match fantastically. Jungle Boy has definitely grown in these matches. He's so good. He's so talented. And I can't wait till we get actual series of matches with Jungle Boy and all the rest of the competitors in AEW. I think that he can definitely tell a great story inside the ring and even outside the ring if they allow him to do so. There is a running shooting star press slash kick to Nick off the apron. There's the combination of the tail whip flatliner combo to Nick. There's a bulldog dropkick combo to Luchasaurus that's done by Nick and Matt Jackson. Jungle Boy goes in for a hurricanrana on Nick onto the steps of the entrance. Matt Jackson does his amazing Northern Lake suplex onto Jungle Boy. Nick decides to powerbomb Jungle Boy onto the apron, then a Canadian destroyer to Luchasaurus. Nick is super quick. And both Nick and Luchasaurus have this thing of who has the best comeback. Nick has the best comeback in AEW. Matt does a super kick to Marco Stunt. I do not blame him. Sometimes Marco Stunt could get a little annoying. Matt holds Jungle Boy up on the ropes so Nick can do a swanton-like bomb onto Jungle Boy. Nick and Matt then set up Jungle Boy for the BTE trigger. They miss. Jungle Boy comes back with a short flurry of attacks. Nick and Matt set up for the Meltzer driver but it's stopped by Luchasaurus. Jurassic Express tries to beat the Young Bucks but the Young Bucks kicked out. Luchasaurus decides to fly over and take out Nick with a crossbody, but then he takes out all the other AEW wrestlers or fans that are at ringside. Matt super kicks Jungle Boy as he flips back in. Jungle Boy kicks out of the first attempt to get the victory, and then a super kick party happens to Jungle Boy, kicks out. But what finally puts this match away is that the BTE trigger is done to Jungle Boy by Matt and Nick. 
and that allows the Young Bucks to pick up the victory. I noted in my notes that only Nick gets his hand raised. There is definitely a different demeanor. You can see that Matt is just sitting there and contemplating like this was a really hard fought battle and have all these thoughts going through his head. They are still upset about what happened. And I totally get it. But sometimes in this business, you know, it's business. Things happen. People make mistakes and people are able to change and atone for that. After that wonderful tag team match, it is the Casino Battle Royale. It had 21 men. Only one came out as the victor. And the person who won the Casino Battle Royale match is Lance Archer. Lance Archer will be facing, spoiler alert, John Moxley for the AEW World Heavyweight Championship on October 14th, the anniversary show of All Elite Wrestling. That is going to be amazing. They put that title match on free TV rather than a pay-per-view. This is why AEW gets the love that they get. You know, who doesn't love free wrestling? I love free wrestling. But at the same time, I would also support professional wrestling no matter what because it is my passion the same way that you guys support this podcast by either listening to it on anchor or signing up on patreon.com forward slash rookie scp for five bucks a month we love you either way and we want to give you the best content there is the one thing i want to mention about the casino battle royal match is that ricky starks and brian cage put Darby Allen in a body bag that was filled of thumbtacks. They decided to throw that body bag onto the entrance steps. And that was the most brutal thing I've ever seen. The next one is Sammy Guevara versus Matt Hardy. This is the controversial match of Matt Hardy getting knocked out. So what happened is, is that both Matt and... Sammy went up on the forklift like structure and below them are two tables most of the time these guys know how to clear a spot like that where there's like two tables and they're fine however I think that the spear was the wrong choice to do because the spear when you spear somebody, the trajectory always doesn't land on the spot that you need it to land. So when Sammy speared Matt, Matt overshot it. When Sammy speared Matt for their spot, both men overshot it. That is why we had the unfortunate look at Matt Hardy getting dazed and knocked out and he wasn't moving. And when he was, he couldn't get to a vertical base and I knew something was wrong. I knew that they should have stopped the match and they did and they should have continued to do it. However, people might get upset at me for this. Most of the time in the wrestling business, when you start back then, it's drilled into your mind that you're a professional and you need to finish the match and it happens. And I think that Matt wanted to finish the match and he did just so that way it could have a closure that's why they skipped all the way to the ending with Sammy just falling into the other spot and just called it a day and it was like just go to the hospital 
getting yourself checked out, your health is priority. We don't need any more unnecessary spots. You can tell the story, whether it's in the ring or backstage, without doing high-ass spots that can definitely shorten your career. And if it's a miscalculation, could end up killing you or really saying you have to retire. Matt Hardy wins that match, ending the feud, and that's how it should have been. We move on to Thunder Rosa versus Hikaru Shida. Hikaru Shida puts her AEW championship on the line against Thunder Rosa. This night, Thunder Rosa could have been a dual champion, and imagine if that was the case. According to Excalibur, she could have been the Triple Crown champion, but then again, I don't know the other titles, so I can't really speak about the legacy of that title, the one that she holds. This match was phenomenal, and this is where we get to Japanese women, Joshi women, having a void of not being as charismatic as they should be when they fight here in the States. Sheeta is a wonderful person. She has wonderful talent. She could definitely wrestle and go in the ring. However, Thunder Rosa dominated Hikaru Shida in this match. Thunder Rosa countered almost everything that Hikaru Shida gave her. And added insult to injury with that pendulum-type move where she was hitting Hikaru Shida's head against the turnbuckle. This match proved that there's not as much charisma to Hikaru Shida as we all thought. Sheeta is definitely passionate about wrestling. She's passionate about being in the ring and being a woman athlete and all that. It's just that because of the way that Thunder Rosa carries herself, you can definitely see why she's a champion and why you want to put the belt on her. She takes this seriously and so does Sheeta. However, the way that AEW built up Sheeta doesn't translate well. And that's where it might get a little stale of having Joshi women as champions. You know, I don't really want to bury anybody. It's just the way of how it's looked at. It's my observation. Sheeta put up a great offense towards Thunder Rosa. However, if you want to look at it overall, Thunder Rosa dominated in that match. It is one of the best women's matches that AEW has had in a really long time. However, I think that they should sit down with Sheeta and just go through exercises with her and let her know that there's certain things in American culture, especially for TV, that helps her get over. Because AEW is built on hardcore fans that followed these guys from when they first started all the way to now and the same thing goes for the Japanese women and a lot more people watch New Japan than the casual average wrestling fan here in America. The casual average American fan here in America is not going to go subscribe to New Japan Pro Wrestling, is not going to go to the internet and look up Japanese wrestling to be like, oh, now I understand why people are so enthralled with such and such wrestler. They're not going to do that. So you need to definitely have all the Joshi women wrestlers have these vignettes that I keep talking about so that people can understand their motives and their characters and their movesets 
and understand why they want to be a professional wrestler, why they're in this business, all that kind of stuff. So we can attach ourselves to them. Sheeta doesn't have a viable storyline for me to be like, don't you dare hurt our AEW Women's Champion. It's not there. The same thing with Rio. It wasn't there. She was cute. She was tiny. She was adorable. But there's no viable storyline of, let me attach myself to these women. So I could be like, don't you dare hurt them. Why are you hurting them? I want to boo the person that's hurting them and cheer the person that I want to win. I'm not doing that. What I'm doing is observing the talent in the ring and that's it. And I just go home a little bit unsatisfied. But that did not happen with this amazing match of Thunder Rosa versus Hikaru Shida. Thunder Rosa brought out the best in Shida and there's definitely a story in that match that I enjoyed and that's why I love re-watching it and talking about it and finding ways to help improve it. The only thing that I can say that needs improvement is teaching the AEW women wrestlers that are currently on TV that we see, that are currently hanging around backstage. They need vignettes. They need training in either promo classes or how to get their emotions over or anything that can help them elevate their character so I can understand what their character is. Hikaru Shida is of Japanese descent. She comes out like a samurai. She comes out with that kendo stick. Cool. Is there a credo to her character that she believes in? Is there something that she always going to fight for? You know, is there a cause that she always believes in? Does Hikaru Shida meditate before the matches so that way she can have a clear head and know that she has to win the match does Hikaru Shida do any type of samurai-esque traditions or believe in any of philosophies because she comes out like a samurai warrior what more is there to Hikaru Shida that I need to know you know like for example I don't know how many of you guys out there know this but I have a degree in creative writing so when you're creating a character for your story, you obviously have the backstory of your character. You have all these questions that you filled out, what they like to eat, what their favorite color is, all the mundane stuff that you as a person know, but your reader doesn't know. And sometimes your reader should know certain things about the characters so that they could attach themselves to it. All I know is that Hikaru Shida is a warrior. She looks fantastic in the ring. She has multiple talents where she could play the piano. She could work out. She is a cat lady. I know she has her YouTube channel, but if you're not attracting me to watch your stuff or you don't have a street team to be like, hey, Hikaru Shida just came out with a new YouTube video. Go watch it. I'm not going to know anything about it. I'm here in the dark. I could do all the research in the world about these wrestlers, especially on the women's side. But then again, I won't have enough time to give you guys podcasts. It's a give or take when it comes to the marketing of these women. And the reason why I sort of get upset, but then I let time take its course because eventually they'll get around to it. Eventually they'll figure out a formula of 
we need to have our women have more exposure. We need our women to have these vignettes. We need our women to have a story. You know, it's kind of sad that we're still here talking about women need this, women need that, and it's simple storytelling, and it doesn't happen. Or it does happen, and it's very slow. And it's like, um, yeah. So, and you know, I'm always for every single person being treated fair and equal. But with the women that you have now in AEW, they should definitely be the focal point until we get past this pandemic and then try to put everybody in. And I understand that Dynamite is two hours. Well, a little bit less than two hours because of commercials. And Dark is all about matches. There's no story in it at all. And I think that should eventually change up. And I can't wait for AEW to announce their second show. So that way, maybe the second show can be all women. And that way, the women don't get overshadowed by the men. And that the women can work out them being green and um, learning some more techniques and stuff like that. So, yeah. I think that if they do decide to pick up Thunder Rosa, Thunder Rosa will help out the ladies be a little more believable. And, you know, just take her advice. That's it. Just take Thunder Rosa's advice. When I was watching her fight against Hikarashita, I was really getting excited for it because I enjoy professional wrestling where the moves excite me. Um, the counters excite me. And when I get into it, I understand the story inside of it. Thunder Rosa is a very believable woman athlete. And I'm drawn to wrestlers being believable in the ring. And that gets me excited. And I was super happy to watch that match. That match is definitely my favorite to go over and learn more. And I would definitely love to learn for Thunder Rosa. Hikaru Shida retains her AEW Women's Championship title. I don't think that AEW would have dropped it to Thunder Rosa. That would have been history making, but we'll see next time. We definitely need a part two to this match. The next match is the Dark Order versus Scorpio Sky, Matt Cardona, which is Zack Ryder, Dustin, and QT Marshall. This had a big fight feel. There was all-out chaos. You like what I did there? It's all-out chaos. <laughs> Dustin's anger allows for a quick blindsided attacks on the Dark Order to try to get the upper hand. I personally said in my notes that Matt Cardona, a.k.a. Zack Ryder, needs to get a whole new moveset. It's one thing to be a person stuck in WWE for 10 years to when you come to either a new promotion or beyond the indies. Just switch up your fighting style at least a tiny bit. Dustin comes in with his comeback off the hot tag. Cabana tried to go for one more offensive move, but that ended up costing the Dark Order their first victory as a team, probably. You guys could probably correct me on that. Mr. Brody Lee does not like the fact that the Dark Order won. Mr. Brody Lee basically handed the pin to Cabana, but then Cabana wanted to try for one more offense. Didn't work. And that allowed for the team of Scorpio Sky, Matt Cardona, Dustin and QT Marshall to pick up the victory over the Dark Order. And then it was announced that Tony Khan had signed Dustin versus Mr. Brody Lee for the TNC Championship on Dynamite, which I will be talking about in a few. Now we come to the amazing tag team match of 
Hangman Adam Page and Kenny Omega versus FTR. I will not be going into detail about this match. I did a video essay, a research project to tell you how it all began and how it all ended. It is called All Out of Elite. I know I was talking to somebody on Twitter where they questioned my stance on this particular match at All Out where Hangman and Kenny faces FTR and I called it the best tag team match of 2020. And I realized that because we're in this pandemic and I don't know what day it is and everything is just all together, I forgot that the match of Revolution happened at the beginning of the year. So here's how it's going to go. Hangman and Kenny versus the Yum Bucks is number one of the best tag team match of 2020. Emotional roller coaster. I love that fucking match. Number two is this one. Hangman and Kenny versus FTR. This had a little more different feeling, a little more... You had the feeling of Kenny and Hangman are going to break up and they're going to drop the belts to FTR and it's going to be a downward spiral and shit is just going to get crazy. I thought that Kenny was going to come back as the cleaner, even if he doesn't come back as the cleaner, but just some sort of version of him being a heel and him being for himself. I adore Kenny Omega and all of his storytelling tactics, and I'm always there for the ride. Hangman is the added bonus of something that I've grown attached to, and I've been smitten with him, and I'm like, his story reminds me a lot about myself and other people that are out there. If you really look at Hangman's storytelling, it's one of the best. And you feel for him. And Hangman is the epitome of all of us who are struggling to try to make content. And all of us who are struggling to try to not be fuck-ups. And all of us who are struggling to make things right. Sometimes our emotions get the best of us. And we saw that when Hangman held on to Nick's foot. And not wanting the Young Bucks to face them. If the Young Bucks had faced Hangman Adam Page and Kenny Omega, I think that they would have still dropped the belts to the Young Bucks. But it would have been because Hangman is completely broken. And that is how FTR managed to get the belts off of them because Hangman is broken. Even if he has a front up of using his anger as a shield. To get the job done and make sure that they retain the titles. But deep down inside, from everybody telling him that he's a fuck up and he should have never done this. And, you know, it was never like a friendship friendship. Because he realized no one would have his back unless like it's two Carolina boys. From almost the same region of where Hangman is at that he thought that he found friends. But that was not the case. And when you're not up to an elite status like the Young Bucks and Kenny, you are basically put on the back burner even if it's portrayed as not being as what it is. And I know Hangman can definitely see through the bullshit, but now he's in a downward spiral that he fucked up pretty bad and he lost friends. But you learn, you move on, 
and you tackle another day. If you guys want to hear the video essay, just head over to patreon.com forward slash rookie SCP or anchor.fm forward slash square circle podcast and make sure to click on all out of elite. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode of me reviewing AEW all out. I did not get the chance to do this at all, but I'm glad to do it right now. My whole goal is to talk about professional wrestling. That is what the Square Circle Podcast is all about. Your support definitely means a lot to me, and I hope that you guys come back for the next one. On the next episode of the Square Circle Podcast, I will be reviewing AEW Dynamite that happened on that happened on September 9th. Anyway, I also want to thank my Patreon supporter, Mags, who is from the wrestling community. He's doing amazing things over on the Twitter side. And I highly thank him for always supporting me and the podcast. It has been an amazing journey and there's only more to come. So make sure you jump on board with all of us here at the Square Circle Podcast. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next one.